Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We've started Tachnun and we're going to do Tachnun. So today we stopped in the middle of Psalm 6 last time. We're going to do all of Psalm 6. We'll back it up to the beginning. Uh, so page 62 in the Slim Shalom page. 134 in the Sim Shalom. And we commented on this psalm just by way of reintroduction that um, uh, the psalm that was selected appropriately enough, we would say, since this is supposed to be the penitential section of the service, the psalm that was selected is an individual personal psalm. Everything is in the singular. Most of our Sidur is in the plural. In fact, even many lines that are originally from the Torah, from the Tanakh, I should say, from the Bible, that were originally in the singular are changed to the plural. So, for example, Rifa'enu Hashem v'nei Rafei in the Amidah comes from Jeremiah, except in Jeremiah it's Rifa'eni Hashem v'ei Rafei. Heal me, Hashem, and I will be healed. In the Amida, we change it to heal us, Hashem, and we will be healed. So there's clearly a consciousness for the vast majority of the Sidur that it's communal and expressed in the plural. So this is one of the few passages, I think, that's in the singular. Okay, and it's just the psalm, and it's a singular psalm, meaning it's written in the first person. And uh, we said that this is a type of psalm that's probably the most common type in Sefer Tilim which is sometimes called by Bible scholars a psalm of lament or a psalm of complaint, where the psalmist, the poet David HaMelech is saying, oy, 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 I am suffering God. You got to save me here. Okay? Um, in the full structure of the psalm of lament, meaning when all the, ele- the maximal elements are there, uh, which this psalm is not, okay? But when the maximal elements are there, the maximal elements are, I am suffering and I'm just des- describing my suffering. You gotta stop punishing me. Please help me, God. Um, then there's usually some turn for the better. It could either be an actual turn for the better or an anticipation for the better, for relief. There's always an interesting question. Is it anticipation or is it actual saving that the person has gotten or experienced from God. Then there's commonly something about, um, and I will tell this story publicly and offer Thanksgiving, which very often implies that the person is in the temple, right? And is doing an offering, or I will come to the temple. I will do an offering. I will offer Thanksgiving. So the maximal, structure of the Psalms of Lament, which we do not have here in Psalm 6, is implies that there is some public and ritual context, right? That the person is basically telling the story of how she or he was suffering, but then God got me out of that jam, and here I am in the temple telling you all this story publicly to offer thanks to God. So uh, the complete structure of the psalm lament, if we have a one that's complete thematically, or I would call it 
I don't want to call it complete because that implies incomplete, but let's just say if it has all the maximum number of elements, it implies a public setting and I'm expressing my gratitude to God. We'll see that Psalm 6 doesn't contain all of those elements. There really is, although there is plural a little later on, there is no public element. So there's no hint of I'm coming to the temple, I'm offering Thanksgiving, I'm going to sing your praises to the public. Okay. All right. Now let's look at the psalm from the beginning. Hashem, Hashem, do not, uh, I will just read our English translation because it's better English than I would come up with. Do not chastise me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. So we have good, plain old biblical parallelism. Two words for punish, tochicheni and tiasreni, and two words for anger, af and chema. Um, and again, just to remind you what I said last week, the af and chema are actually, um, be the word, abstract concepts, anger, but the words that are used, abstract emotional concepts, anger, but the word that is used to say it is a physical concrete word. So af means nose, and it means really, it implies nostrils flaring, okay? And chema is bile, B-I-L-E, the black, angry stuff, bitter tasting stuff from your liver. And these are two common uh, biblical words for anger. Another biblical word for anger is ketsef, which means froth. And it's like when you're angry and yelling at someone and you're frothing at the lips. So the various biblical words, very often for feeling states, but certainly for anger, are words that uh, come from uh, a physical manifestation of how you know someone is angry. Okay, their nostrils are flaring or they're frothing at the lip or, or I don't know how you'd know about their bile, but okay. So Hashem, don't punish me in your anger. Be merciful to me, God, for I am miserable. Heal me, God, because my bones tremble. I am totally trembling. My soul or myself is totally trembling. Where's you, God? Admatai. How long? Right? So we, we said this was sort of the broken syntax where the person's lament breaks down. And rather than saying, you, God, stop doing this, or, and you, God, why did you decide to punish me? Like, let's say, that's what Job says for many, 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 many chapters. Here, the sentence breaks right in the middle. How long? Which could either imply, how long are you going to be doing this to me? Or how long can I take this? How long can this go on? Um, So I just want to point out, I just want to label maybe what the obvious, I just want to sort of put it out there. This implies a theology that probably a lot of us modern folks might be uncomfortable with, right? Because the theology seems to suggest that when I am suffering and he says, so maybe it's a sickness 
suffering and illness. Um, and we'll see in a couple of lines, I might be dying, right? In, and in, in Sheol, in the underworld, there's no praising you. So God, you don't want me dead. It implies because you want me to praise you, right? You want loyal subjects. If the king kills the subjects, then there are no loyal subjects. Um, but implied in this very clearly is the theology that the punishment of whatever the suffering is comes from God and is intended towards me, right? Very different than our, I'm going to call it, uh, theory behind illness. So-and-so got cancer because, like, you know, some people get cancer because they smoke cigarettes or there's schmutz in the air and the water supply and who knows, right? Things just happened, um, it's not anyone's fault, right? That's our modern ideology or theory of much illness or suffering, like, you know, the car accident or whatever. Um, that is very different than the biblical ideology, the biblical idea. So I just want to put that out there because that raises the questions of like, how do we personally relate to a psalm like this? Now, I don't mean to say that there aren't any contemporary people who believe that illness or suffering comes from God. There may be many people who believe that. Um, there are also people who, probably lots of people who on a, uh, how do I say this? I don't want to say superficial. On a, on a top level, you know, on a good thinking day, think, no, 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 illness doesn't come from God but who on some deeper level might, when bad things befall them, think, oh, I'm being punished for something, right? Because we're human beings, we're capable of believing more than one thing, right? We're not robots, right, with consistent programs. So sometimes people say, would say, like, I know that's not how things work. But on some level, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm being punished. I feel like I must deserve this. I feel like someone must have it in for me. In general, modern people who don't attribute all causation to God don't necessarily say God has it in for me. They're more likely to say, like, the universe has it in for me, which is some modern God-avoidant version of saying God has it in for me. Um, but I just want to put all of that out there, um, and, and maybe we'll come back to that. Or I could pause now. Does anyone have any comment they want to make on any of that? Because I think it's pretty important to think about. I think it's clearly an obstacle for a lot of people reading material like this. Avi? Ken Verit. Boker Tov, everybody. Well, that brings you brings us to an idea, is our God a punishing God? Is he actually punishing us for deeds that we did or deeds that we didn't do? So what is the answer? Is God punishing me? I mean, talking about the healing number six, is he punishing me from this? We understand, yes, in a way, 
Yes, right. I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying I agree with that or you should agree with that, but I think, yes, that clearly is the ideology behind this psalm. The ideology behind this psalm is not, oh, car accidents just happen sometimes, okay? Or some people get cancer. That's not the ideology here. It's why are you doing this to me? By the way, the person isn't actually saying why. They're not seeking an answer. It's not a factual question, right? They're not expecting God to say, oh, I did this to you because you did X, Y, or Z. But rather, it's more like, God, how can you keep doing this to me? Okay. Beth Am raised their hand. I think that might mean Larry. Yeah, that's me. Larry representing the entire community of Temple Beth Am. That's what it says on your screen. Go ahead, Larry. I, what is what is Beth I don't want to say ch- about this? I don't want to change the name because this is the master. I understand. I'm teasing. Go ahead. Simple question, which I know has a complex answer. As a psychiatrist, is this a normal human trait? Or is this something that's more, you call it an ideology. Is this more of a sociological trait that, that different cultures develop? Or would you say this is almost inherent in human behavior to try to find, to blame oneself and try to find an explanation for the, for the problems? It's a good question. I think it's hard to answer because um, we don't have, we don't know people who are raised with only human behavior without any sociology, meaning everyone grows up in a culture and an ideology and that culture may have mixed ideologies. And I think, by the way, I think it's because our culture has a mixed ideology because we're subject to mixed ideologies. And I think that's why we say, oh, on one level, the rational level, the science level, because I went to high school biology, okay? I don't believe that people got an illness because of anything they did, right? Because that's sort of the dominant, uh, I will call it materialist, scientific, rational ideology that we've all been raised with in our schooling, I think. And it's sort of at least at least on the surface, the dominant ideology in our culture. On the other hand, um, the other stuff is not 100% absent. And I think that's why sometimes when people experience suffering, there is a part of them that says, maybe I did something to deserve this. Thank you. I guess I just want to say in the ancient world, in David Hamelech's world, the world of Psalms, it seems to me more unequivocal that the ideology seems to be you did something to deserve this, not, oh, you know what? Sometimes there's a plague and people die, right? It's why did God send this plague upon us and people are dying? Okay. But I I guess I want to say just because we all like took high school biology and live in a apparently more, you know, post-scientific revolution. Um, um, I don't think the why is the universe doing this to me has been totally eradicated from inside our kishkas for a lot of people. Michael, and then Ilana looks like she might want to say something. Michael, Ozer, then Ilana. Well, I I, I was going to uh, uh, agree totally with you because in the in the world of David, David like you say, this was common. So you have to look at it. Uh, I mean, what helps me in, in, in something like this is 
is that you have to realize that 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 particular theology was perhaps much more present at that time and you i mean not that you can't take it seriously but you can you can adjust it so to speak um to your own situation and with our own current um sensibilities and feelings so that you you have it in a, you you take it in a bit of a measured uh sense because uh, indeed any of us are not uh, perfect we are humans and so we have an opportunity to to uh to assess the uh through talking them you know our current situation on any particular day and and hope that that somehow if the if anger is coming from god you know that we that it can somehow be abated or lessened or through okay. our own actions so uh-huh. well i just want to point out i think the editor of our edition of the conservative sidur has dealt with this question by simply giving you choice b Sheer Hamalot. I think that's why there's a choice B here. I think the editor would say, instead of adapting and adjusting, and well, we don't believe that, and now we partly believe that, that it was more straightforward to say, it's a load of, I'm sorry, I'm going to be, I'm going to be rude. It's a load of bunk. We don't believe that anymore. This is not a psalm that really speaks to people. Actually, it's psychologically harmful. We don't want people blaming themselves for their suffering. And so we're just going to not give you that Psalm to say for Tachnun. We're going to give you another choice so that the person who says, I just can't read this. I'm going to skip over it because I don't believe that has an alternative to say. I think that's what's behind the editor supplying the second option. Ilana, unmute. This, yeah, this doesn't have to do with this whole issue of what moderns do or don't believe. Just to note that um, the, the, the notion of bad things happening as punishment for us doing people doing bad things, it comes right at the very beginning. The, 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 uh, exile from the Garden of Eden, the, you know, the Tower of Babel, and then the most like elemental story that we all keep returning to, um, the 10 plagues, clearly punishment for, uh, evil on behalf of the Egyptians and then, the Israelites having to stay a second generation in the desert because of their uh, misbehavior. I mean, uh, excuse me if I'm misinterpreting some of this, but these are like really seminal examples that uh, it can't can't be avoided if um, Torah is, um, you know, a basic literal belief, right? So I'll restate your comment more abstractly, uh, Ilana, <laughs> and say. Oh, the theology of the psalm is pretty straightforward mm. biblical theology that we find throughout the Tanakh, mm. whether it's plagues or illness or the Assyrians coming to conquer. The explanation mm. is because God is sending a punishment to teach people a lesson. Because we screwed up. Because we screwed up. Right. So, Pretty straightforward. So, uh, I, yes, I, I think we have a hang-up with that ideology. I think the Bible has no hang-up with that ideology whatsoever. Okay, this is pretty straightforward. 
ancient Israelite biblical theology. Terry, and I want to move on with the, let's try to finish the psalm today. So I, I think until very recently, I had a lot of problems with this psalm and this and and hence parts of Tahanun. But when I think more globally about responsibility, <clears throat> and maybe it's a time in my life as well, I think that, yes, we are responsible for climate change. Yes, we are responsible for a lot of the bad things that people suffer. Part of it was due to ignorance in the past, but indeed, we caused many of the what we would call health and social justice uh, plagues that we suffer today. So I'm rethinking my whole approach. Okay. Okay, good. I'm going to let that comment stand and will not comment on it. Thank you. Okay. Um, so let's go on. So heal me, Hashem, for I'm totally trembling. Shuvah Hashem Chalatzanafshi. Turn literally means turn God. Uh, so it could mean change your approach, meaning stop punishing me. Um, our translator says, wants to have it be turn to me. Shuvah in the sense of come back, God. Uh, implying that God has turned God's back on me, as it were, or abandoned me, as it were. And I'm saying, hey, come back. Don't walk out on me, God. Okay? Chalitzanafshi, release myself, release my life. Hoshieni laman chastecha, save me because you are loving, not because I deserve it, or not because I deserve you to save me, or because I don't deserve this suffering. Job's argument is I don't deserve this suffering. That's not what we're saying here. We're just saying, save me because you are merciful. In death, there is no mention of you. In the underworld, there will be no one to thank you. This is the only part of the psalm, I think, where there is a hint at that other stuff that I talked about earlier, that um, you know, if I'm saved, then I will offer you thanksgiving and tell everyone the story and everyone will know that you are great and merciful, oh God. So you want to save me for the sake of your reputation. Perhaps, perhaps all of that is kind of alluded to in this line. Okay. I love this. I am worn out with my groaning. I cause my bed to be flooded every night with my tears i melt my bed we say in our english american idiom my pillow was soaked with tears i cried myself to sleep all right the idiom here is i caused my bed to melt with my tears um uh the late Rabbi Levi Mayer, who was the uh, legendary uh, chaplain, Jewish chaplain at Cedar Sinai, uh, reading this passage, I remember him saying, David Amelech telling God, I was up all night crying my eyes out because of my suffering. 
Okay. By the way, again, it's an exaggerated metaphor, right? I caused my bed to melt with my tears, but so is I was crying my eyes out. It's also an exaggerated metaphor. No matter how much you cry, your eyeballs don't come out. All right. So I soaked my tears. Now, kaas usually means anger to us. So it could mean my eye is worn out because of your anger. Could be God's kaas. Or it's possible that kaas here just means negative feeling. And it could be my kaas. My eye is worn out with my frustration or something like that. Hold on, Vered. Okay. This is difficult Hebrew. Uh, it could mean here, the, uh, the simplest meaning is my enemies. And atka might mean move or because that's what you do with your tent. You take it apart and you move it to another place in Genesis. Um, so it could be, uh, here we translate worn down by many foes, but it could be that Sorai is either a scribal change or just a different version of like Tsarotai, my sufferings. Mm-hmm. So, and given that we haven't had any foes anywhere yet in this psalm, maybe that fits better. So maybe it means something like my eye is worn out by vexation or frustration. It is collapsing, something like that, because of all my tsaurus. That seems to sort of fit a little bit more consistently. But maybe tsaurai does mean my enemies who haven't appeared yet in this psalm, because in the next line, the enemies make their appearance. Suru mimeni kol poale aven. Get lost, all of you evildoers. All of a sudden, we have evildoers. All of a sudden, so up until now, the psalm has been about two entities, me and Hashem, okay? And even the giving thanks, there'll be no one to thank you when I'm dead. That's only a very veiled, you know, implication that maybe when I give thanks, other people will hear that. So there's no one else in the psalm, except all of a sudden, they clearly are here. Get lost, all of you evildoers. So now there are other people, and they're wicked. Why are they wicked? Or, sorry, wherein lies their wickedness? Usually, in other psalms, they're happy for my downfall. So sometimes other psalms say they're gleeful about my downfall, they're casting lots for who's going to get my clothes when I die, just like the Roman soldiers do with Jesus in the New Testament. They're waiting for me to die. They're outside and I hear them whispering. So lots of Psalms have um, a sense of the individual's estrangement from others around them. The others around them are just sitting around waiting for me to die, or they are gleeful about my downfall or something like that. And they are referred to as enemies or wicked or evildoers. I don't think it means in any literal sense criminals. Okay. I think it's meant to express the individual's sense of estrangement 
from everyone else. Okay, God, it's you and me. I'm the suffering one. Everyone else, they don't really understand what I'm going through. But this obviously is a, is a harsher um, expression of that. Now, I've known, uh, I've read some translations, modern translations, commentaries of the Bible who want to make this internal, right? It's my own bad thoughts, my own bad juju, right? The evildoers. It's my own thoughts and feelings that are undermining me, undermining my relationship with God, undermining my resolve, undermining my courage, something like that. So because the enemies are present in so many of the Psalms, I know there are lots of hands up, so I'll try to get to all of you, because the enemies are present in a lot of the Psalms and a lot of modern readers in, in wanting to have this be relevant to people say, I just don't, the enemies, it just doesn't really fit in a kind of contemporary idiom. Um, They try to transform the enemies into internal enemies rather than their people out to get me, just waiting for me to die, which I think is the pshat. I don't think the pshat, the, the manifest meaning in ancient times was internal enemies like doubts and thoughts. I think the, I think David HaMelech didn't mean that or whoever wrote the Psalm. I'm pretty sure they meant outside people who are just gleeful at my downfall and happy that I'm suffering. I'm pretty sure they weren't thinking about internal enemies, but I think a lot of some modern commentators want to internalize this and psychologize this because they say this idea of the external enemies, it just really doesn't fit us psychologically. So get lost, all you evildoers. Ki shama Hashem kol bichi. For Shem, God has heard my cries. Shama Hashem trinati. This is, not, this is not wishful in terms of the, what we would call the optative, right? I let God hear my cries, but rather it means God has heard my cries. So right in this, here's the turn of the psalm where there's a change of mood, Okay where the psalmist, the poet is saying, I know that God has heard me, all right? God has heard my cries. Hashem has heard my tichina, my plea or lament. Hashem tfilati yikach, God will accept my prayer. Yevoshu v'ibalu me'od kol oivai. All of my enemies, so we're back at the enemies, they will all be I don't know, confounded and panic-stricken, routed and panic-stricken. I like that. Okay. Um, by the way, Bahel, was, which is translated here as panic-stricken, is the word that we had twice before about I was trembling, my bones were seized with a panic. I was seized with a panic. Here it's the enemies are going to be seized with a panic. Right, so it's the same verb of what God inflicted on me. God is going to inflict on them, or actually, you, you bad guys, you enemies. Yevoshu kol oivai. Yashuvu, by the way, yevoshu and yashuvu is a uh, pun. Isn't the right word because pun implies that it's supposed to be funny, but it's a language play. Yashuvu yevoshu raga. Before I said to God, shuva, meaning turn back to me. Now I'm saying about the enemies, yashuvu, 
they will turn, where are they going to turn? Probably away. Like maybe before they were facing me saying, ha ha, he's sick, he's dying, he's suffering. And now they're going to run away. We might say in English, turn tail, right? Turn tail and run, right? They're going to turn and they will be, um, it says here, withdraw. It really means routed or or humiliated. My enemies will be humiliated. Raga, which means in an instant, which could mean in a moment or any moment now or like that. You know, when God decides to route them, it's going to be like that. Um, the time element of it, I think, is intentional. Like, I was up all night soaking my bed with tears. I added, I was up all night from Rabbi Levy Mayer. It doesn't actually say that. But I soaked my bed with tears, which implies, you, can, you know, you can't soak your bed in tears just from crying a little. You'd have to cry a lot for a long time. I melt my bed with tears. I soak my pillow. The enemies, the bad guys, they're, they're, um, they're going to be shown up. They're going to be defeated instantaneously. When? Presumably because God is going to decide to rescue me and um, schmice them. Okay? So it's a very interesting psalm. We don't end with me offering thanksgiving and being happy. We end with the tables being turned against my enemies. It's interesting. Um, there are lots of other psalms of lament that could, or prayer that could have been chosen that would have had a happier ending. And so I am in the temple offering thanksgiving and praising you before everyone. Hallelujah. There are a lot of psalms of lament that end that way, but that's not the psalm that was picked by the group Mind for Tachanun. All right. So um, we'll... I think we'll come back to that thought in the future because in the seven-paragraph Tachanun on Monday, Thursday, there's lots of enemies, okay? And then we're going to lead into, which we'll talk about next week, Shomer Yisrael, which is about implication of enemies. It says, save us as a nation. From who? People who want our downfall as a nation, Okay. So Shomer Yisrael is protect us from enemies. So maybe that's why this psalm was selected. Maybe it was selected a psalm that doesn't just have a happy ending. We all live happily ever after in the temple, but there actually needs to be a reversal of fortune and the bad guys have to have a comeuppance because I'm going to talk about the bad guys next. Maybe. Okay. But, you know, it's in some ways a slightly unusual psalm of lament, or I don't want to say slightly unusual, you have to ask, why did the group mind that organized the Sidur pick this psalm instead of a psalm of lament where it's God has saved me, I'm in the temple, we're all rejoicing, I am praising you, God, which would be a more, I'm going to say a more classic kind of pick. Okay, there are a lot of comments on the field. We'll try to get through them over the next five minutes. Very. Just a very quick comment yeah. about the beauty of this language. Yes. If you look um the word um Ashesha Mikas Aini reminds in the Bible where it says that Ainea were Asheshot. It's Weak. it's the same word. Okay. Red uh-huh. and 
fallen out of crying. Okay. So that's just an example of how we can look at some vocabulary and find out beauty in it. Great. Thank you. Good. Uh, we'll just go across there. Joanna. You're um, still, yeah, go ahead. Two comments. One is, is there a possibility that this psalm was chosen for Tachanun because of verse 10, Shema Adonai Tachinati, like it has the very word Tachanun in it. Yes, um, I would say yes, but I you could have picked 10 other psalms of lament that have that word in it. Okay. I mean, I haven't, count, I haven't counted, so I don't know that it's more or less than 10, but it's not a, yeah, yes, but I just want to say, oh, it's not a rare word. We, there were other psalms. You could have found a psalm with a happy ending um, that doesn't end with my enemies running away that would have the word trina in it. And then my other comment is back on verse five, where it says Shuva Adonai. You know, every time I hear sort of in a prayer or religious context, the word Shuva, the other thing I think of is Teshuva, right? Yeah. A sense of repentance and returning to God. Uh-huh. So is there a possibility here? I mean, it's kind of out of order, but like, why will God return to me? Because in the following verses, there's a true expression of remorse of Teshuva. That's what all that dramatic language is getting at, that the person is very sincere. And um, and then therefore, you know, towards the end of the psalm, God will hear my plea and will answer me because I have done tshuva, you know, so since I have done tshuva, God will also come and meet me halfway and turn towards me. And, you know, in that biblical theology of if I do good, I will be rewarded. And if I do bad, I will be punished. So the sense that, okay, now that I'm back on the right path, God will now go pay attention to the other people, some other people who aren't the other evildoers, because I'm no longer in that camp. So now God's going to go off and deal with the other evildoers. I got it. I get the argument. I understand it. I disagree somewhat, because the part that I disagree about is I don't see my tshuva anywhere in this psalm. I see I am crying out because I'm suffering, but not I have done something wrong, not I'm going to stop doing it and change my ways. So you can read it that way. And in the context of Tachanun, you can say, well, that kind of fits, right? But but I want to point out, it's an implication that may or may not be here. And it may be then the, shu- the Shuvah is maybe operates differently. You're suggesting I'm going to, I'm doing tshuva. So I'm doing teshuva. So God, I want you to shuva. Maybe it operates differently. Maybe it's actually a use of irony, right? It might be usually God, you're saying I'm the one who has to repent. And I'm actually saying you're the one who turned your back on me, right? Um, I don't need to do tshuva. So it's a chutzpahdik thing to say, like Reb Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev. I'm no Reb Levi Yitzchak. I'm not the one who needs to do tshuva. You're the one who needs to do tshuva. Reb Levi Yitzchak didn't say that. He said, let's, uh, so according to the, the story, he said, let's both wipe this, the slate clean, right? I didn't do, I didn't do so good this year. You didn't do so good this year either. Uh, let's agree to wipe the slate clean, Hashem, and we'll start from scratch. But go ahead, Joanna. 
I'll just say one quick thing, because I think we could discuss this for an hour, which we don't have time to. No but doubt. What you just presented is sort of very interesting to think about in light of all the possible emotions we might express about God. You know, we see we tend to be in this vein of like, I will be thankful to God. I will be appreciative of God. You know, are there times, you, you know, following what happened um was it only last Shabbat, two Shabbats ago? I'm already lost in time in Texas. Like, are there times where we are angry with God and we outright say so? Okay. I'm going to let that question hang. Larry. A couple of quick things, but it's always tough to follow, Joanna. About wordplay, this week's Haftorah from Mishpatim, which comes from Yemriyahu, also has wordplay exactly on the word shuv. Not with tshuva, but shuv, which appears seven times in various forms in the haftar. If you want to know more about it, watch this week's haftar plethora. Yeah. Next, uh, can I comment? Sim- what, can I just say one thing about that? Um, sure. Ancient Hebrew, bibl- sorry, biblical Hebrew has a very um, deceptively simple common vocabulary. And because some words are deceptively simple, they can very often be deployed in very complex ways. So you think like, oh, so you think like, oh, I know what the word shuv means. It means to turn or return. But the uh, a core word can deploy it in many different ways. And that's something that will give the language its richness because it'll lead the reader to say, well, exactly what does the author mean by shuv at this moment in this verse. Yeah, which I assume is what your Haftar plethora thing is about. So I'll try to give that it, a listen. Yes. It, also, it in- also available on our Temple, Temple Betham podcast channel. Go ahead, Larry. And, and, right. And this, and this also makes poetry beautiful, and which makes Hebrew poetry, which I wish I spoke better, um, so much more evocative than even in most English poetry, in my opinion. And yes, Joanna, it's a new episode this week. But just two more quick things. This psalm, which is a very early psalm, at least according to the enumeration, has elements of two other psalms that we recite and we know well because you've discussed them. One is Psalm 30, Mizmor Shir David, which both has the reference to tears. I'm crying at night, but by morning there will be salvation. Yep, rejoicing. Also, there's 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 the line um, in there that says, um, you know, what what will what will profit from science? I'm reading the English quickly to to save time. What benefit if I go to my grave? And that's also repeated in Psalm 115 in Hallel, which is the end of a longer psalm, which we divide into two, and people don't realize it's the same same psalm which where we talk about the dead cannot praise Adonai, nor can those who, who go down uh, in silence. So it's a common theme to talk about, look, don't, don't kill, don't me die because I can't praise you. That's Correct. a very common thing. Correct. And you cited, besides this one, two others in our Sidur, but you find these elements in many of the Psalms of Lament. So the Psalms of Lament, uh, many of them will use sort of common Elements. They're not all repetitions of each other, but there's sort of a, you know, common stock of themes. By the way, we don't have it in any of those three psalms that you just mentioned, but there are lots of psalms where I'm drowning in the mud, I'm caught in the mire, uh, uh, 
seaweed is wrapped around my head, right? So there are a whole bunch of Psalms, like the Jonah Psalm has this, where the, the metaphor isn't illness and bones and trembling and sickness. The metaphor seems to be drowning, okay? Uh, sometimes I'm pierced by arrows, right? So there are a variety of, uh, I'll say, images that are used and reused in many of these Psalms of lament. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, Joanna, oh, sorry, Ilana. Just, just quick question. Maybe you can send it to us. I'm interested in following up on the Levi Yitzchak Berdichev, if I could find some of that text. I don't know. I know it's like what rabbis talk about on the high holidays, but I'll look for it. Okay. I'll look for it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Who knows? It could be just apocryphal. It could just be all the rabbis make up that Rabbi Levi Yitzchak said, but I don't think so. I'll, I will look for the source for that. Right. Has something to do with high holidays. And uh, I think it's Levi Yitzchak. I'll, I'll look it up. Okay. Um, there are other comments, but it's one minute to nine. I think we got to call it a day and um, we can all digest. We'll do, we'll do a very quick look at the alternative Psalm, Psalm 130 choice two next week, because I'm just going to ask you, um, we'll ask sort of, is wh- how is the tone different and how would it feel if you read the, the traditional Psalm, Psalm 6? Why, uh, I sort of said, you know, my opinion, what, you know, what's, why did the author provide an alternative and how does that alternative Psalm 130 feel different? Okay, so we'll try to look at that quickly next week and then onwards to Shomer Yisrael. Everyone have a good day. Stay healthy. Be Torah. God willing, see you next Tuesday. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.org.